Welcome to Porchlight, a place to chat, share testimonies, encourage and inspire one another. Only found on Firefall Talk Radio. Get comfortable and get ready. Here's Richard Grund. Hello, I'm Richard Grund. This is Porchlight, special part of the porch. We give short messages, edification, information, but this time we're going to be doing testimonies. I mentioned that we're going to begin doing testimonies here on Porchlight. And I felt like the first testimony should be somebody I talk about a lot in our Bible studies, my fellow SRT founding member, Larry Barrett. Larry's got a tremendous story of what the Lord has done with him and through him. I think there are many people out there that will relate to it and be blessed by it. At least I hope you are. If you are, let us know. If there's something you want to see us do more of, and I'm already planning to bring um, Joe Citrone on, and there's some other people I'd like to talk to, but if you would like this to be a regular part of the porch, let us know, and we'll definitely do it. If you need to contact us, go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button, or write us directly at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. Well, I'm here with my brother, Larry Barrett, fellow founding member of SRT, here to share his testimony. So, brother, I know a lot about you after all these years. Um, why don't you tell those that are watching and listening a little about yourself? Well, I was born and raised in the Panhandle of Northern Florida. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps in 1971, and I was a Marine until 1976 when I got out of the Marine Corps and joined the Navy. So five years in the Marine Corps, joined the Navy, went to SEAL training, in 1976, and was a SEAL for the next 18 years. was fortunate enough at that time to be, the timing was right. I was in uh, a separate group with inside of SEAL Team 2 called Mob 6. And then when uh, Commander Marcinko started SEAL Team 6, Mob 6 became the training group for SEAL Team 6. So I was also involved in a mission at the time that had to do with Iran. There were only uh, four of us, including Commander Marcinko. And when that mission had failed, he got permission to start SEAL Team 6. So I was in from the beginning. So I spent a total of 23 years in the military, and then I retired in 94, October 94. I'd been out a couple of years, was uh, already had a drinking problem, and it now is even bad or as worse as it was before. <clears throat> so I was a full-blown alcoholic by this time and very angry, didn't know why I was angry. So like I said, retired in October of 94. And God was drawing me all during these kind of times. But in 96, I finally uh, knelt on the floor of my living room. And I just said, Lord, if you're there, God, if you're there, I need help. So how, do we make, how do we make the transition from Larry Barrett, SEAL Team 6 founding members, uh, Spec Op Warriors, if you will, to kneeling on the floor in your home seeking the Lord? Well, the Lord was, uh, had dealt with me for many years. You know, uh, I knew what I was, where I was at. I knew I needed him, but 
and those outfits, there's a lot of pride, a lot of, you know, I uh, can do attitudes. So even though I, I would assume a lot of people pray, but they kept it to themselves. <laughs> so, uh, which, which is what I was doing. So just to stay alive at times, but it, uh, the Lord was drawing me. And when I got, when I got out, he, he almost pursued me on an intellectual basis. He got me curious about the Bible, curious about, is God real? Of course, if you go back, I had, you know, some upbringing in the church. I uh, went to church some as a child. I had a cousin who, who came to stay with me on the weekend sometimes. And his mother would not allow him to come to stay unless we went to church on Sunday. So that got us in church at different aspects of the time. So I knew some religious things. But in 96, after I retired, God was drawing me intellectually. And so I started reading all these different books. Emmanuel Kent, uh, I think I forget the title of it. Is there a God? Some other things. I read the Bible completely through in like four months from beginning to end. Um, not, not that I think that, that impacted me greatly because I really focused on the same stories I heard as a child, you know, David, Goliath and those types of things. But he kept drawing me, kept wooing me, kept bringing me through uh, these books and studying. And then I got off into um, Saved by the Light and all these things, these near-death experiences, and I'm reading that stuff. But he had always drawn me back to the Bible. So I realized in by 96 that I was um, headed off a cliff, and I describe it as being on a train a locomotive that is heading towards a cliff and you're trying to find something to put the brakes on, but you can't find it. And I knew that this train was going to go off that cliff sometime soon. And it was going to be a train wreck. Just how bad that was going to be. I didn't know, but I knew it was going to be destruction. And I, like I said, I couldn't find the brakes. And finally he brought me to, as some people classify at the end of my road, and I knew that I needed supernatural help. So I, my family was gone at the time. So I just knelt on the floor of the living room and, and just raised my hands to heaven and said, God, if you're there, I need help. And from that moment on, he began to change my life and heal me. So you got saved. Everything's perfect. You're, you're clean. You're free. <laughs> you're living a new life. Everything's good, right? <laughs> No, I think you know the story of that. Uh, I, of course, after I got up off the floor in my house, uh, the first thing I was going through was I had dipped Copenhagen in the teams. That was big in the teams at the time for 18 years. So uh, I was going to quit that. So after a couple of days, I was already caving in. I'm like, oh, man, I better, I got to have a dip. So I went over to the trash can, so I went and spilled it on the floor, and I had it moving towards my mouth and I just stopped and I said, Lord, if you want me to stop this, you're going to have to help me because this is going in my mouth. And it was almost like time froze. There was just a long pause there where I, I don't know. It was, I don't know if I was conscious of it or what, but all of a sudden I just let it all go into the trash and God began to heal me of that. It's interesting that God did not start with the alcohol first. I think he had more to show me in that aspect. So 
I got up from the living room floor and after a couple of weeks, I decided I need to go down to the local church where I used to go as a child and formally make this formal commitment to God. So I went to church on a Sunday and this time at church, I couldn't wait to go forward. All the other times, you know, you're squirming in your seat, you don't want to be there going up. But this, at this point in time, I wanted to get to the altar and I wanted, you know, to formally do this. And as it happened, my cousin was a assistant pastor there by this time and, and the pastor was out of town. So he was running the church at that point. And he got to see me come to salvation after he'd been praying for me for probably 30 years or so. So I did that. They laid hands on me. They prayed for me. I left. And I kind of kind of decided in my own mind, you know, like, okay, I'm saved now. It's almost like I said, all right, God, I got this. You know, just stand back and, and watch me go. I've got it. So it, it occurred to me I would go back to the bars that I've been a lot and start witnessing to people. And, you know, here I am drinking with them to fit in with them. And I'm trying to witness to them. And pretty soon I'm back to, you know, drinking a whole lot of beer and whiskey again. And now I'm in as bad a shape as I was. Is that pretty so, normal? I, that would be pretty normal for somebody with your background. So somebody who comes out of the military, especially doing what you did, shouldn't beat themselves up if they're if they're struggling at the beginning. Right, because we didn't have the right concept of what was going on. Um, you know, I often tell people that Larry couldn't live this Christian life before. And Larry can't live it now. But the spirit of God in me can live it. And that's what I didn't realize. That I was going to do this by gritting my teeth and forcing myself through this. So after about seven months of this, you know, the fighting, the drinking, everything, my life's a wreck. Uh, I got sick during that time. I got pleurisy. I got all these things. My body was deteriorated. My cousin and his wife came by to see how I was doing. And, you know, I just got through this being sick and everything. And I'm sitting there on the couch talking to them. And I said, you know, I, I was, uh, I felt better before I got saved than I do now. I said, I'm really hurt. And he just very simply said to me, Larry, you need to come to a church where people love you. So I kind of blew that off in the beginning. And finally, after another month or so, maybe I, I'm still drinking. You know, I'm living in a, my mom and dad's old place. I got an army cot there on the floor. I got beer in the refrigerator. It's been seven months now of this. And I put my hand on the door going out the door. And I just simply stopped and I looked up and I said, Lord, if you'll take this from me, I'll never drink again. But I meant it. There was not a part of Larry wanting to hold on to this anymore. And I didn't feel anything great or dramatic at that point. But then I, I started kind of counting days. All of a sudden, it was three days, a week, you know, two weeks, a month, three months, 90 days, 45 days. So all of a sudden, I just quit counting because I realized I no longer had the desire to drink anymore. So at that point, it was not when God did that. He took that from me and delivered me. 
I didn't have to struggle anymore because I no longer had a desire to drink. And basically, me, that, that basically you got, you were sick and tired of being sick and tired before it was, Hey, if you take this, I'm good with that. This is no, now you have to take this. Yes, because I'm right back on the train going off the cliff again. It's a matter of time before I get arrested or I resist arrest, you know, something really bad would happen. So that's in God, after God set me free at that point, you know, I got into church and with the type of uh, personality that I have, I, I like to research and look into things, which is probably one of the reasons God drew me intellectually. I'm at this same church where my cousin and the pastor is back now, of course. And after a year, they asked me if I'd teach Sunday school. Wow. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible or anything to be teaching Sunday school. We got Christians sitting in those pews that have been Christians for 60 years. So that drives me into that Bible to do the research, to do, you know, whatever I'm going to teach on. I'm going to research it, commentaries, different translations. I'm going to look this up because I'm not going to stand in front of these people and look like an idiot. So that drove me into researching the Bible, reading the Bible frequently and in a lot of prayer. And, you know, I read a scripture in it's John 10, 27, I believe it says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. So I put my finger on that in the Bible. It says, it says right here, Lord, that I can hear your voice. So I believe that. So I started a lot of prayer and learning to hear God's voice. And then I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is my calling? Basically, if I even understood what a calling was at that time. He said, I want you to intercede. I want you to pray. I want you to teach. And I want you to preach on occasion. So he laid out the path for me. And because of the way he had made me, that fit in kind of the way I was because I like to do the research. I like to do the reading and the teaching and those kind of things. Well, also with the military background, you you are trained to be regimented in a plan. You follow a plan. It's right. not, you just don't go out and do something. So he laid out a plan for you. But, but you mentioned something I want to go back to about getting arrested. Is that mm-hmm. something that... Uh, you feel like sharing because some of the people that whether it's your background or not like i came off the streets of new york not that i ever got arrested but i had a cousin who was a career criminal i know that really well i know that mindset so how do from where you are now looking back at that how do you see that well that's one of the reasons i could see that i was on that train headed off the cliff because I was back where in the close to the area where I grew up, running to some of the same bars. And I just knew it was a matter of time before I got stopped. And I wasn't going to jail. I'd made up my mind. I was not going back to jail again because I'd been so many times before. And to, to digress, I was arrested probably, I don't know, 20 times. Uh, put in jail to maybe 20 times. I know when I was, uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps and was going back in the Navy, uh, the recruiter ran a tri-county police checkup. And then I called him up one day. I said, well, how are we doing on this, on this 
enlistment here. And he says, well, Larry, I don't know that I can get you in the Navy or not. You know, you got 16 or 16 arrests in your county alone. And two of those are felonies. Well, a felony, you can't get in the military with a felony. And so I told the guy, I said, look, I was, I was never tried for that. Those charges were dropped. And it all goes back to a part of that was a corrupt uh, sheriff's office and things going on at that time. I mean, still my fault for the drinking, but I, what started it was they were going to arrest me for something. I just came home on leave and I just wasn't going to jail. So that led to all this uh, resisting arrest thing. So I said, well, would it help if I talked to the judges? So I went up and talked to the judges, got a letter of recommendation from them, and uh, then went on to uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where they induct you there. And I went before a board of master chiefs, and they looked at my record and said, and they said, well, he hadn't been to jail in a year or two, so I guess he'd be okay. And, you know, it looks like he's wanting to go to the SEAL training, so he fit right in there. So, uh, yes, I had been in quite a bit of trouble. And by the mercy of God, it wasn't irredeemable. It almost sounds like even though all those bad things were happening, the Lord was directing your path to a place to where that moment could happen, irregardless of your bad decisions. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, many miraculous protections God had given me. Uh, you know, I drowned when I was two years old. Mm. I drowned in this creek uh, right down the road here from where I'm sitting. Uh, I wandered off in a, uh, we had a family reunion every July, uh, the Saturday closest to the 4th of July. And I, the crowd was there. We were in the creek. There was a sandbar and I walked off the sandbar. And I remember to this day, settling to the bottom of the creek, about 10 foot deep. And this is a creek that is black water. This is not clear. And I, and I can still remember it. That's it. My earliest memory is that I remember settling to the bottom and feeling my feet touch the sandy, sandy combination, sand, mud, leaf bottom. And I remember looking up at the sunshine 10 feet above me through the water and seeing blowing some bubbles. And I was very peaceful. And then, of course, the whole crowd dove in and snatched me out of the water and everything turned to craziness. But. Then my dad taught me how to swim, you know, a few months later. So I was swimming at two and a half years old. But uh, that was the first time God kept me alive. And he kept me alive many, many times. Motorcycle wrecks, car wrecks, fights, everything you can think of that went on. But he was always leading me in a direction, I believe, because even those times in, in the teams, you know, you're still, when you're, you're about very good possibility of getting killed here, you're going to be talking to somebody. And so I was always talking to the Lord that he would keep me alive till I could come to that place. And that's exactly what he did. You remember any one moment in particular where you really thought you weren't going home and the prayer was a little more earnest than it had been before? Yeah, several of those times, actually, uh, you know, uh, I remember a couple of times, one was uh, we were launching from the beach, looking up at the moon. I had a 10-month-old son. You know, I didn't get married till I was 36. I didn't have a son till I was 37. And uh, so this is a boy, and he's 10 months old. And now I had to leave 
the house that night. I mean, they just call and say, get in here. So, you know, you don't have any real gone goodbye. I remember we were decorating the Christmas tree. We had it about half decorated. And I got the phone call and said, get in here now. Bring your toothbrush. So that's kind of code is, you know, you're going to be gone for a while. So I just turned to my wife and I said, well, uh, looks like I got to go into work for a while. So it may, I may be gone a few days. And she knew what that meant, but she didn't say so. Kissed her goodbye, kissed the baby goodbye and left. And then, you know, a month later I'm back. But uh, there was a situation in that where I'm standing on the beach and we're launching, getting ready to go in. And I could see part of the moon in the sky. And I looked at the moon and I just said, Lord, I don't know. I don't know why I called him Lord because I hadn't made him more of my life. But I had some background, as I said before. I said, uh, we're going to go in here in a few hours. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, if I'm going to make it or not. But I sure would like to live and see my son grow up. So sure enough, it wasn't long after that. We had several people killed and a bunch of people wounded. And there was another incident where we're hiding out on the side of a hill in the jungle and the enemy's right above us, within a few feet of us. I remember it was so bad that I, I looked, we had coated ourselves up with mud and I looked at this ant crawling around on the ground next to me and I wanted to trade places with this ant. So boy, I'd like to be that ant right now. Just crawl right on out of here and nobody care. <laughs> so there's been a lot of times that, that the Lord always came through and always protected me. But a, a lot of that, and of course I'm, I'm asking these questions from knowing all the answers, but a lot of that prepared you for how the Lord was going to use you. Yes, I, I think so. Lord told me one time in prayer, he said, Larry, don't think that you're still alive because of your great skills and ability. He said, I've kept you alive. And I want that same diligence and commitment and loyalty and drive that you had for SEAL teams. I want it for me. So that he had built that into me, but now he wants me to flip that and turn it around for the kingdom. When I first got saved, I'll just throw this in here real quick. I ran away, as you know, from everything that had to do with anything that looked like it was violent. You know, I had the books, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, and I threw those in the trash. I didn't want to get around anything like that because I was afraid if I stayed uh, too near anything like that, it would trigger something. And I would lose my temper or something bad would happen. If something bad, I would get violent, something violent would happen. And I would, I would embarrass the Lord, embarrass myself, embarrass my witness. Or maybe I was even afraid if, if that happened, that I wasn't really saved. Well, I, I know from coming out of the occult and getting delivered, I had a knee-jerk reaction to everything like that. Uh, when the 700 Club did my testimony and the producer wanted me to reenact what I did with the crystals, he actually wanted me to lay in bed and put the crystals on me like I did before. And uh, I overreacted. I got angry. I said, would you ask an alcoholic uh, that had been cured to go into a bar and show you how he drank? So there, there's that fear. Now, I wouldn't have that fear now because of my confidence in my walk with the Lord and right. in, in doing this. But as a baby Christian, there, there it's natural 
to to feel like that. Oh yeah. So I those same things I found out later as I grew in the Lord, like you're talking about. I could see how he could take that type of thinking and and tune it to his desires and to his way of doing things in the kingdom and the confidence that that built up. Yeah. So do you have any, do you have any, um, when you look back and what you did with the teams, what you did before you got saved, does that ever come back and haunt you? Yeah, I think it does at times. It, uh, you know, I look back at that sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes I'm proud of the things we did. Sometimes I'm ashamed of some of the things I did. Uh, I, th- I'm wondering if I had, if I had been Satan, would I've been, would I've been able to do, have more impact than I ever had before? Cause you know, as, as I said before, I didn't get saved. I was retired at two years after retirement. And, uh, there were people, uh, in the team that were saved. I didn't see a whole lot of witnessing from them that was, you know, very outright. Uh, but I, someone talked to me later, said that, you know, years later said, I would like to talk to you about more, but I was afraid to. And if they had really known, I would have listened. Mm. I would have been open to listening to that because that's my heart was being drawn that direction towards God. It just had to come to that place where he, he brought me in. You know, and, and then I learned it's all God's work. It's not my work. It's not me doing anything. He's done it all from beginning to end. I just got to walk in. So somebody who comes out of your background now and gets saved, they should almost expect the, the guilt and the, the, the condemnation to come from the enemy. I know that the enemy always reminded me initially of what I did walking out of my family, all that stuff until a brother finally um, told me and said, you need to tell that demon that the person he's talking about no longer exists. You're a new creation. And that took right. time to understand that concept of being a new creation. Well, you heard the concept life verse and God gave me, I guess you could call it a life verse. Not long after I was in church, finally, after that seven months went by and I was in church, God kind of spoke to me out of Philippians 3, I believe it's 3, 13, 14, 15. And basically it says, uh, Paul speaking, he says, brethren, I count myself not to apprehend, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I pressed toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. So he gave me that because the devil would remind me of my past. But Paul said, hey, don't go back there to the things before. Reach forth to those things that are ahead of you. Because that's oh, that's dead. So reach, reach ahead and press toward the mark. Press into Christ. And that's what I did. You know, I was in church every single opportunity. I even got a key to the church where I could go in and pray on nights by myself. So I really, I had a very uh, a rapid rate of growth because I completely committed myself to the Lord. Amen. Amen. I understand that. And the one thing I tell people is salvation is instantaneous. <clears throat> Sanctification is a process. It takes right. a little while to get sanctified. It takes a little while for the old nature to completely die. 
And as long as you don't feed it, I call it a zombie, as long as you don't feed it and bring it back to life, you're going to succeed. But the, the truth is, this is not easy. The Lord did all the work. We know that. Right. But this walk is not easy. Well, it's uh, my cousin said one time, he said, I was disappointed at the place I was at, maybe. And, and my cousin said, he said, Larry, it took you 40 years to get in this mess. It might take a little while for God to get you out of it. <laughs> the, the sanctification process. And I had another cousin speak to me one time. You know, I've had three mentors in my life, uh, two of my cousins and yourself. And the, the other cousin said to me, uh, uh, I stated to him, I said, well, it would seem to me that the more you surrender or relinquish yourself to the spirit, the faster you would grow. And he goes, exactly. And the more you and he's talking to me, he says, the more that you resist the spirit, the quench the spirit, the slower that growth is going to be. And you can bring that to a standstill. So part of my message to be would be to people coming out of the military. And they've probably seen much more horrific things than I have. God will forgive. You. God will save you. God will redeem. You. God will sanctify. You. But you're going to have to be willing like I did with the alcohol, just as an example, to let go. You got to let go and let him take care of it because you're not going to be able to do that yourself. You know, I, I have a, a sermon I preached one time. I, I don't know if it was in the prison ministry or where, but it's called the border. You know, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And there was still some of them wanting to go back when things got tough. Oh, well, let me go back to the leeks and the onions. Oh, if we were just back in Egypt. Well, how insane is that? They were in slavery there. But when you come out of that, you need to get away from that board. You probably need to get away from, from some old friends, some old haunts, some old places, and press in, as you know, as Philippians 3, 13, 14, 15 says, press in to Christ and, and get away from that board. Because if you hang out next to the border, there's a real tendency to just step over there again. You know, I was preaching in a place uh, called a Waterfront Mission. There was a young man there. It's, uh, I think he was a Green Beret. Uh, he was in the mission. This is like your last shot. They keep you there for six months or maybe a year. They get you a job, but you have to work there every day, and you have to hear the gospel at least twice a day, morning and evening. So I'm preaching the evening messages, and he was all gung-ho. He could speak in tongues. He had everything. He had the gifts. And he had gotten hooked on cocaine before and, and destroyed his life. He had a little two-year-old. He had a wife. And I believe the wife was a colonel's daughter. Mm. And him being an enlisted man, you know, he married colonel's daughter. And the colonel wouldn't let him around in the family. So he's trying to get himself squared away by being in this mission. And so I hadn't been down there in a month or two. And I came back and I asked where he was. And they said, oh, he's in jail. I said, what happened? They said, well, he was with some guy and they went to a house and there was a gun involved. So I found out where he was at in, in the jail awaiting a trial. And I visited and I talked to him. We were talking through the plexiglass window and I said, what happened? He said, well, when I got out of the mission, 
I was hanging out with some old buddies, some of his old drug buddies. He said, we didn't have any money, wanted some more drugs. Well, the one guy says, I know a guy owes me 50 bucks. So they went to the house to get the 50 bucks. He was just riding along. But this guy had a gun. And inside the house, he knocked the grandmother down on the couch, pulled the gun. They didn't have the guy that he wanted the 50 bucks from was not home. There was kids there, the wife there, and the grandmother. And the grandmother started speaking in tongues, which scared this guy you know, half to death because now he knew God triggered that in him. But wow, what have I done? But the guy stole the truck and he got in the truck with him and they took off, which got arrested. Now he's facing seven years. Back then, he was facing seven years in prison. But instead of continuing pressing toward the mark of Christ, he went back to his old, he went back across the border where his friends were who were druggies and eventually pulled him right back into Egypt. So. Yeah, you have to, you have to get to a place. And I didn't even realize it till you were saying it. When I got saved, as you know, I was still living in New York and I lived there for two more years and I continued to do what I was doing. And then I made that deal with the Lord. If certain things didn't happen, I would move to Tallahassee, Florida. And he made sure none of those things happened. (laughs) As you were speaking, I realized what he was doing was getting me away from the familiar grounds and the familiar spirits for me to go to that. I mean, I was hungry. I'm reading four or five books a week. I'm uh, Mm -hmm. praying. uh, I'm listening to praise and worship music, Christian rock, all those things. But the truth was to go to that next level, I had to get away from Egypt. Yep. And, you know, uh, I I remember when I was, when I was thinking about coming to God, I hadn't done it yet. I hadn't known in my living room. I'm thinking I'm driving down the road. I'm going, you know, how could I have any fun? Down there at that old church, all those bunch of holy robes. You know, and it doesn't occur to you how stupid that statement is. I'm out here having fun, getting drunk, abusing my body, getting fights, abusing my body, wrecking vehicles, abusing my body, going to jail, losing money, getting criminal wrecked. You know, but that's fun. You know, we've been taught by the world. There you go. That's it. I was just going to say. What a man is. Well, a man can fight, a man can drink, a man can drive fast, a man can sleep with lots of women, a man can do all this, which is a total opposite of what God says. And it's destructive. All of that is destructive. Amen. I I look at everything you just said, and I was thinking that while you were saying it. We've been programmed to be like that. We've been programmed by our upbringing, our heritage, by media, everything around us, the commercial, especially when we were growing up, um, that you're supposed to do this and it's okay. It's even worse now, but in the sense of what they say is okay, is really not okay. But to get away from that, you, you, the scales have got to literally fall off your eyes so that you understand, wow, I've been lied to. This, this wasn't the life I wanted. And you know what happened? That that concern I had about also was uh, it wasn't just a concern about how could I have fun down here. What will my friends think? Well, I didn't have to worry about that because I pressed into Christ. They went away. 
You know, when they didn't want to hear about Christ because they weren't ready, maybe whatever, whatever it was, but they didn't want to hear about that. So my friends changed because I'm speaking my testimony. I'm talking about Jesus and they didn't want to hear that. So that took care of itself. But that's an important point that you may have to give something up and that's family, that's friends, that's all the things you did before, um, the respect of those people. For me and for you, none of that mattered because we knew what we were like five minutes before we got saved. We knew what we were like. I knew that I was going to hell. I knew that I was going to burn in a lake of fire. So to look back at that, I, you know, no, I don't want to go back to that. But the the devil and his, the kingdom of darkness is really subtle and really cool. And, okay, we won't go for the big things he might notice. We'll just go for the, we'll go for something little to trip him up. Sure. And you're going to trip. The accidents are going to happen. But you're not defeated because God will forgive you, restore you, pick you right up, dust you right off, and keep you going if you're willing. If you're willing to get up. You know, I I've, I've, uh, was in a deliverance ministry uh, at the church, not the one that we're involved in together. But the biggest thing I saw, the most prevalent thing I saw among Christians who came for deliverance was they were defeated. The devil has convinced them that they're unworthy. He's brought shame. He's brought guilt because of something that has, has happened or done or maybe their past. And he keeps them beat down where they're ineffective. And that's what he wants, an ineffective army uh, that is of, of no consequence to him. Who is Larry Barrett now? As, as you sit here today, looking back on everything we said, if somebody would want to know, okay, so who's Larry Barrett now? Larry Barrett is a servant of God. He's a child of God. He's a son of God. He, he is his whole, you know, it's Paul said, and I think it's Acts 17, 28. It's in him I live and move and have my being. There is nothing else but that. You know, and people say, well, you're some kind of fanatic or nothing. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I'm what the Bible says I should be. Uh, I'm not a, I don't consider myself a radical Christian. I consider I'm, God is progressively moving me towards what I'm supposed to be, which is to come to the fullness of the measure of the statue of Christ to be transformed, to be like him. So to answer that in a shorter version, you know, I am. A Amen. Amen. <laughs> so in regards to, we need to probably cover a little bit of what we do with SRT. How did what you were before transition you into this specific part of the calling? Well, it was almost unconsciously. Uh, <laughs> I just, I was, I was there and then uh, you and I got together and then we went to New York on the first trip and did a deliverance there the very first time. And, you know, I, I'm all excited. I got scriptures doing all that. And, uh, but it, it, all the different places we've been and done things, it was just, it never occurred to me to be afraid because I had such confidence in what God could do. And I trusted him. And as you taught me, as you showed me, as we went along, that confidence would continue to grow. But even from the beginning, uh, I wasn't afraid of any of that. 
And maybe that came somehow from the past of being in some very fearful, traumatic situations in the natural realm. Somehow that transitioned over because now I had such confidence in God, not in myself or the government or the military, but I had it in God now that it was just a quick transition. Well, you're in a you're in a the kingdom of God government, and we are in a. Um, I, I've always considered SRT like his special ops. We're the sheepdog right. of the great shepherd. We're a little bit different. We don't do what other people do. I'm, that that's an understatement. So, but the right. commitment is still the same, and and the calling to go and do and serve and set the captives free. Live out Luke four eighteen, as we say. Um, and that confidence has to be there. The confidence that was there before is now a different aspect of that. But that confidence, because both of these are, if you want to look at it that way, are frontline uh, special ops type callings. One is in the natural realm and the other is in the supernatural realm. So it just never occurred to me to be afraid of these things because of my confidence in God. Well, also, like you said, you were in the similar situations in the natural. For me, I've always been around the supernatural from the crib. So being in the presence of these demons or fallen angels or Canaanite gods never really um, bothered me. Right. Especially after I got saved, because now I know that the power of the creator is inside of me against that creation. But it still takes it still takes a mindset and a fervor to go and do what we do. And I think that translates, you know, in what you did, the, the, the drive for whether it's SEAL Team 6 or Red Tower, any of those things, the drive was to get the job done, to finish the mission. Right. And, and you went into it kind of a different way because you'd already been familiar with that world. I had not. But as God gifted me and trained me, I began to move in that realm. Um, it was like I came from a background of that, like you said, and I just transitioned into this. I had now, instead, I, I said before, I didn't, I didn't have confidence in myself, but I had confidence in God and in my walk with him. Maybe we could say that because of the word, the, the amount of the word I'd studied and the prayer and the worship and the praise, all that had energized this new man that God has made. So tying the two things together, both the walk and what we do, a lot of people right now are dealing with the demonic, whether they know it or not. We're dealing right. with that darkness in every, every day, every part of our lives. What would you say to somebody who's struggling in that battle, in that conflict? Well, the Bible has a pretty unique scripture for that. Submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So the first thing you're going to have to do is submit yourself to God and what he's saying. Um, it's, yeah, I go back to the story, you know, I got saved and then I was drinking for seven months until I was willing to relinquish that and turn to him. There wasn't that little bit of Larry anymore that wanted to hold on to a little bit of that. Larry was now willing after what he'd just been through again to say no more. Lord, take this. 
I can't do it, but you can. So I would turn, I would say, turn to the Lord with your whole heart, get into word, study, do the things that God calls you to do to be a good disciple. You're still going to have things coming against you and you're going to have to do the spiritual warfare, uh, which a lot of people don't even know or even understand how to cover themselves, how to cover, you know, their families, how to do all the different things they need to do because, uh, and maybe part of that is because they're not, they don't know. They don't I, I think you're right. Anymore. I think the majority of them don't know. Or they're not taught it or they've been told, hey, the Lord's going to cover you. He's going to do all the fighting for you, which has no New Testament reference whatsoever. In fact, right. it's just the opposite. Paul and Peter and James are teaching you just the opposite. But we live in a fallen world under the rule of Satan and, and his angels and the, their demons until the Lord comes back and completes the um, authority transition on both levels, natural and spiritual. But we're living in some really dark times. We're living in a place that, uh, as you and I talk and pray almost every day, that even at our level of, of our walk in warfare, you can't let your guard down. You have to have what I call the head on the swivel so that you don't get blindsided. And I think it was uh, very detrimental to the church when they removed the real teaching out of Genesis 6 that God began to teach us in 2007. That this mythology, these titans, these demigods that uh, were worshipped in Greece and Rome and other places were real in the aspect of that. They came out of Genesis 6, where God says that uh, the giants were in those days. People don't read that correctly, and they've been not taught that since, what, 300 A.D. probably. So they don't have a real awareness that these things are real, and they're out there, and they are powerful. Well, Origen, one of the original church father and teachers, fought to keep the teaching of those things in the Bible and he said outright, the reason you don't want the church to know these things is because you don't want them to know about the fallen angels and the watchers and the demons and what you are hiding that from them. And he really, uh, really criticized them for it. But in the negotiation of what didn't didn't stay in the Bible, those things got taken out. Even though Jude touches on it, the Lord touches on it, Daniel touches on it, it's there, but not to the point that people understand there's an element of truth to all mythology. Now, you have to figure out what that truth is. Yeah, so a lot of people are just ignorant of what's going on. They don't realize that they are demonic powers all around them in this earth and heavens and uh I think a lot of people don't want to know that. I don't know how they can. All they have to do is turn on the news. Look yeah. at the movies that are being made. Look at yeah. all these things that are happening all over the world simultaneously. How do you not believe? You know, people say, oh, the devil's, even some people in the church, oh, he's, uh, it's just an allegory. No, he's an act. The Bible says he's an actual created being that fell, and he took a third of heaven with him. And there's this battle that'll culminate in the in the second coming of the Lord, and we're living in a war zone. And I think a lot of people just want to bury their head in the sand because if they realize that, then he might have to do something. There you go. That's the key. And 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 I'll say what kind of reaction we get to this. Maybe maybe we need to get together and talk about that more and offer some teachings aside from the testimony to hey, this is what we do. 
this is why we do it and and begin to show people not that we're trying to recruit anybody though it would be nice to find people that have the calling but the fact is everybody is called to protect their homes themselves their families their pets and and to live that I don't want to say guarded life, but that victorious life that if we're going to tarry as a military army left behind by the Lord, then we need to act like one. Yeah, it's uh, the deception is so great. Uh, You see it in that realm. We're talking about it, that people deceive that there's no war. There's no supernatural beings. You see it in the political realm right now. You see it in the nation. You see it in things dealing with viruses and all of that. And Jesus said, I think it was Matthew 24, in the first 11 verses, his three of his warnings said, do not be deceived. Mm-hmm. So it was very important for the first thing out of his mouth after the disciples said, what about the, all this? How will we know the day of your coming? How will we know this? He says, don't be deceived. And he says it twice more. So there's a great deception out there. And the enemy's got people deceived. They got a lot of people deceived in religion, thinking they are saved when they're not. Got a lot of people deceived, thinking that uh, there are no supernatural enemies. The devil and them are in the pit or in hell, and they can't touch them. Uh, Just a lot of things to keep people in, what's the word I'm looking for? To keep them ignorant, quiet, subdued. Desensitized, yeah. Desensitized, and that way they don't react. And we see that same thing on the governmental levels. Another thing, to keep people from reacting, you know, to keep people, the devil wants everybody pacified. Maybe that's a good word. So well, he, he doesn't want to stand up he, and do anything. He doesn't want any resistance. That's for sure. Right. And he doesn't like it when people resist and push back. He's very much like our current, current government and, and other officials. They don't like right. it when people stand up and that's the enemy. Right. So, in closing, what would you say, let's say somebody tunes into this, whether from your background or just has a similar story and they're struggling. They Maybe they got saved. Maybe they made the verbal commitment, but the transition hasn't happened for them. What, what would you say to them? Well, I would say, you know, that it would seem like you're in that same place I was in that seven months. I got saved. But Then I tried to do it all on my own. And a lot of it, I really, there was still a little bit of me that won't let go of that. I was too, uh, you know, I've been drinking for 30 years, I guess. And there's a little bit of me wanting to hang on a little bit of the past. So what I'm telling you is there is a way out of that. But if the situation you're in is like the seven months I was in, or you have no victory, or you have no peace, then something's wrong because the word is true. Jesus is not a liar. So if that is your situation, then you need to see, uh, to turn your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, what do I need to do? And you need to be willing to let go. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. So we have to let go of those things and say, God, help not trying to fight it through and battle it through, be it drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, yourself. And now, now I know there are treatment centers and other things that may be a possibility some people might need help. But I'm telling you, from my perspective, I didn't turn and go to AA. I turned to the Lord and said, Lord, if you will take this from me, 
I will not drink again. And I meant that with my heart. So if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, there's a way out. And that way is Jesus Christ. But you've got to pursue him, come after him, commit yourself to him and do the things you need to do to get strong. You know, if you're going to go into uh, an Olympic event, you're going to train and train and train. You're going to train those muscles. You're going to train everything you can do to win. Well, you're going to have to do the spiritual training, too. You're going to have to learn how to do the, the, uh, the spiritual warfare. You're going to have to be reading that Bible. You're going to have to be uh, pray in prayer. You're going to have to be seeking God with your whole heart. Because if you think you're going to leave some, uh, lead some half-baked Christian life and have that abundant life that Jesus promised us, it's not going to happen. Amen. So there's a way out. Amen. I remember after I got saved and I went home to visit my mother, who was, I was raised Roman Catholic. She still was. And she said, you're a little too fanatical. You need to find the middle of the road. And I made a statement that applies to what we're talking about. I said, mom, you stand in the middle of the road, you get run over. I said, I'm not standing in the middle of the road. I picked a side and I'm going to stay on it. And that's what I hope the people that have listened to this will do. And um, if you would like to reach out to Larry Barrett, you write the porch at firefalltalkradio.com and we'll forward it to him. But if you have a question, you have some uh, needs or whatever, you write to us. Like I said, the porch, lowercase one word, firefall talk at firefalltalkradio.com, or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com, use the contact button and say, hey, I saw that session of porch light with Larry Barrett, and then give us your message or your question. But we're here to help you. We're here to bless you. And um, brother, why don't you, why don't you pray us out? Father, we thank you today that you have given us a way home through the blood of Jesus Christ. But Lord, you never gave up on me. You never gave up on Richard. You don't give up on people. Your desire, your heart is that people would turn to you, be part of your family. But Father, there today, there are your kids out there today who are struggling, who are hurting. So Father, we ask you right now for encouragement. We come against any spirits of depression, or discouragement that comes against your people who may see this. And Lord, we ask you to illuminate their minds and hearts. That they begin to see there's a way out of this pit. That there's a way out of this mire. That there's a way to get on top with Jesus Christ. And to live a life of peace and joy. And righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Father, put your anointing, as we prayed before, put your anointing upon these videos, upon these words, that it will help people. Because Richard and myself have both been there. We've been down there, and we've been up there, and we're going to stay up there with you, God, not because of our own strength of power, but because of what you're doing in us. And that, God, we have surrendered ourselves completely to you. So help those who hear this to see this, to be blessed, to be encouraged. Lord, put a smile on your face, knowing that there is a way out and a way to live this Christian life through the power of your grace and not of our own struggling in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Amen. Well, that was Larry Barrett. I hope that blessed you. It blessed me, and I know the story. Larry and I have been walking together for over 20 years.
And how we got together is a story in and of itself. Maybe I'll share that another time. But the Lord ordered our steps, and here we are. If you feel led, share it. Let other people know about it. Subscribe to us on whatever place you listen to us, because there will be more of these, both audio and video. We're taking the time because we think it's important. Testimony is powerful. By the word of their testimony. In fact, they love not their lives unto the death. They battled the dragon. So here we are battling the dragon of this day. Hasatan and the fallen and their demonic offspring shining the light, driving the darkness back. That's what Firefall Talk Radio is about. That's what Firefall Media Group is about. And we thank you. If you've been blessed by us, you want to support what we do, there are ways to do that. Just go to the main page. See you soon. This has been Porchlight. I'm Richard Grant.